The year is 1992. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And I'm Charlotte. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hi, this is Zach. On October 10th, the day before the episode's coming out, just to let you know that due to my move to California, my computer breaking for a little while, Dave's paternity leave, etc., this episode got recorded about two months ago. So some of the stuff we talk about, it's all like stuff in the news, but it's all a little outdated. So we talk about What If and Suicide Squad, the movie, and Substack. Um, Plenty of stuff has come out about all of those or like more conversation about those things, more news about Substack. Um... We don't touch on those because we recorded this a while ago. We will in future variants. Um, But just wanted to let you know if you're like, why aren't they talking about the new comic e-reader announced for Substack? That's why. It's still a fun episode. Uh, Give it it a listen. And thanks. Bye. Hello, and welcome to My Marvelous Year Variant Edition for 1992. I'm debuting founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. On today's variant episode, we're going to answer some topical questions some very topical questions today we're going to talk about the movie the suicide squad the animated series marvel's what if and the comic creator exodus to substack okay we're going to talk about all these incredibly topical conversations i'm going to talk about them with because it's just making me want to talk about ointments i'm going to talk this this individual uses more ointments than i would have said was possible he's got them on every part of his body it's topical zach dean Thank you very much. It's how I uh, I flex my uh, my status to everybody. Well, and when you flex, like, like, look at that like, man. He's shimmering with ointment. Everyone when says. you flex, yeah, just ointment just flows flying off the biceps. It's it's really gross. People are like, "Is that sweat?" And they're like, "Why is it so sticky?" It's always yeah, it's, ointment. It's uh, it, it's like uh, it's viscous, right? It's like thick. Why mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's how people uh, know that I'm impressive because of how much ointment I have and can afford. And speaking of impressive, our other guest today <laughs> is Charlotte Fierro. Charlotte, pleasure to have you. How's it going? Hello, I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be. Charlotte, thanks for <laughs> thanks for making it through our discussion you... of ointments. <laughs> yeah. Charlotte, how much ointment do you have on your body right now? Uh huh. So what if? Huh? What a show. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's start there. Actually, let's start with Marvel's What If. Um. So animated series, Marvel What If. And I, Zach, do we have questions today? Do we have listener questions? We don't because no? we had so no. many uh, so many topics we we're going to get to. I didn't put out a call for it. Cool, cool, cool. So in my Marvelous Year, we're the, the podcast where we go through Marvel Comics from its origins to today on variant episodes. We get to talk about other stuff that's going on in the world of comics in addition to listener questions. If you want to get in your own questions, one of the best ways to do so is to support the show through patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear. You can get in your questions directly there or join the exclusive Slack community where you can get in any additional questions. But in the meantime, let's talk Marvel's What If. This is the animated series that follows hot on the heels of of Loki on Disney Plus. The multiverse now exists. Marvel can do anything. They can tell any story. The first episode has dropped, and it is Captain America the First Avenger, but with Peggy Carter as Cap. Uh let me start with a positive, because I think mostly I've got negatives. But let me start with a positive. <laughs> yeah. Peggy Carter's an awesome Captain America. Really enjoyed that. Yeah. I liked seeing Peggy kicking butt. I think Agent Carter, people forget this. 
It's like, people are like, oh, Peggy Carter, good to see her again. It's like, Agent Carter season one was really fun. I enjoyed Agent Carter season one a lot. Season two, I was totally out on. Um, but yeah. I like seeing Peggy in this role. I think Haley Atwell was really underutilized. I actually yeah, think she's totally. really cool, good character. Um, it, I was struck watching this thinking, I kind of, I kind of wish this was like how Marvel was. <laughs> like I kind of, I kind of <laughs> like this where Peggy's Cap and not Steve. Um, that part plays out uh, about as well as you'd hope. Um, and then from there, I was tremendously disappointed that. The show takes the concept, it takes the hook, what if Peggy was Cap, and then it just sticks in Captain America the First Avenger, retells the entire story beat for beat, it does not take risks, it does not explore, and it doesn't do what actually was probably the most interesting thing here, which was looking at, and how would the world be different if things had played out this way once we get Mm -hmm. into literally any other decade. Um, Charlotte, what did you think? Uh, I think, yeah, I was more excited about the potential of uh, um, Captain Carter coming like Doctor Strange 2 or some future multiverse thing mm-hmm. than I am about the actual episode. Because yeah, as you said, it f- just feels like um, Captain America First Avenger with some tweaks here and there. Um, and weirdly, for a show that's about um, doing some completely new and different stuff, it felt very much setting stuff for the future. Because the very end of the episode feels like they're probably going to follow up on that. Mm. Or else they probably wouldn't have shown her arriving to the present. So yeah, I don't think it wasn't the best start for this year. I, I, okay, so what if, like, I, I think a lot of people have the expectation, which Marvel is banking on and leaning into, that this show, they, they have said this show is quote-unquote canon, right? Like, the, the producers of the show have said to the media, this is going to be canon, these are the actual multiversal realities. From right. Loki, right. right? Yeah. They're canonically the multiverse. Yeah. Which is setting up people to then be annoyed when it's like, well, okay, but it's not right. The thing is, I don't really want it. I, I don't need it to be. I'm not like, or I guess I don't want it to be either. I don't, I don't really care one way or it the other. Be but kind of cool if in Avengers Secret Wars, you know, Avengers 6 Secret mm-hmm. Wars, sure. Haley Atwell showed up as Captain sure. Carter. Sure, yes, yes, yeah. agreed. So that that is that is the extent of it. So I, I don't have any expectations that any of these are going to be like, ooh, that's a fun seed that they're planting for later. Like, I don't really want that, and I don't need that. But at the same time, yes, I, I think, like, at best, what we'll probably get is these little, like, winks towards things that they might go back to later, and they might leave open enough that they can, like, integrate this if they think that something's a big enough of a hit. I was definitely not watching with the expectation. I actually didn't totally realize that. I was not watching with the expectation or the hope, frankly, that any of this would make it to live action MCU. Like, I guess Mm -hmm. I don't. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Like, I don't need that. That's not super important to me. I think if it's going to do anything that is relevant or that shapes what's going to happen in the MCU, I would hope coming out of Loki that it would have been little like Kang teasers kind of things or even just the watcher just stuff that like fills in like the multiverse and the way it works and the way it's shaped details like that as opposed to the specific realities and the way Mm -hmm. those characters interact because i don't expect that we'll see any of them like i said i think Haley Apple's great so if she wants to show up as captain carter cool that'd be fun um but i don't expect that and i don't need that i think my it's a it's a fine enough experience i think for me you know i had some people say to me when i kind of expressed general like i wish it had taken risks i wish it had done some different stuff. My general thing that I like about What If Comics, which, you know, we talked about on My World this year, and Zach and I, you and I, I think, come down in similar, like, similar opinions on these, which is, like, mm-hmm. 
they often get really strange and really dark, and that's kind of fun to talk about, but the comics themselves are rarely super special. The comics themselves yeah. are rarely anything more than, like, seeds for things the 616 can take and actually fully explore, because they're mm-hmm. one issue and they're done, and you don't have you don't have enough time, really, to do anything super well executed. And But the one thing they do, again, that is interesting is, like, in What If Jane Foster Became Thor— Okay, one, you have a concept there that is interesting, but two, then she starts like dating Odin and things go to hell. It's by arbitrary. The and yeah, it gets it, it, weird it, and strange and it takes risk yeah. and it really leans into like, hey, how would things be different? And the Peggy episode of What If, it doesn't explore how things would be different with the exception of like, I guess Steve would have become the Hydra Stomper. He would have become an early Iron Man. But then we don't explore what to me is interesting about that, which is we had an Iron Man in the 1940s. What is different now in the yeah. 1950s and 60s, right? Peggy Carter in 616 is one of the founders of S.H.I.E.L.D. with Howard Stark. What is different about that, given how these characters are? I just, that stuff to me is actually interesting, not, mm. hey, can we see the Red Skull try to do his Tesseract stuff again? You know, that's not exciting. Yeah. And if you're going to show us at the end of the episode uh, Peggy arriving in present day, show us how present day is different without yeah. the Winter Soldier, with, uh, with an Iron Man in the 40s, with all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, which right. it doesn't do at all. Like mm-hmm. Nick, uh, okay. Nick Fury I, and Hawkeye look the exact same. And they're so waiting I, in the same place. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I, I actually totally <laughs> disagree. Um, at least for like what I, I want out of these. Like I don't care about what modern day MCU looks like if Peggy Carter was Captain America. Like I, that that's all just oh, like plotting stuff, right? <laughs> like so I'm not like what are the ramifications of this it is not the interesting part to me. Okay. Right? Like I want to see the like I, we've talked about this on the show before but i'll say it again for what if the things i like are if something drastic changes for a character i want to see how either that moment was so integral to the world or that character that everything crumbles because it didn't happen right so like the the one i always talk about is like what if um aunt may was shot instead of uncle ben right Mm. so that that one's kind of the opposite where that one shows that like uncle ben dying was not the like the key thing spider-man goes down a much darker path in that what if but eventually finds his way to becoming spider-man again and it is just like no peter parker's peter parker and he's always going to end up on this road and right mm. like the circumstances can be different so like i either like the ones that show the inevitability of something happening and just a different take on it or that thing where like this is the key moment and without that you know everything would change the kind of like what if we just you know what if there was an Iron Man in the 40s? How would that change S.H.I.E.L.D., which means that, you know, was Hydra infiltrating it? And that's just kind well, of like plot Well, back plot it up stuff. then. Like, back it up then, because what you're describing sounds a lot like this issue, or this episode, right? Because you here you have a, a, an important moment yeah. in Marvel history. Steve Rogers is about to become Captain America. That doesn't happen. So you can take two twists now. You can either say... Steve Rogers becoming Captain America was so integral that everything went to hell after if he Mm -hmm. doesn't. Or you can say Steve Rogers was always going to be a hero regardless, which is what they do, which is actually the option they take. And I think that's a better option here because if you say everything would go to hell even if Peggy became Captain Carter, that's enough you to Peggy. Why would you even make the episode? Um, I think that doesn't work. So why didn't you like it then? Because it sounds like it did the things you like. Oh, uh, I I liked all that stuff. I just actually think the writing was very like this is. Do you like the plot? You just didn't like the execution. Yeah, yeah, more. You know, I didn't even like dislike it. It, The the really clear comparison I can make for this, it feels like one of the '90s Fox Kid shows where I'm just like, yeah, this is fine. Like I'm I'm gonna 
adult. <laughs> so like this is not the most like fascinating thing to me. But like Did I had it... a fun twenty. See, minutes. I think we're all. Like, I think we're all people here. I mean, Charlotte, you've been rewatching the '90s Fox stuff, right? Like, and, yeah. and you've been talking about with Zach. Like, I think we're all people here who actually like animated television, primarily marketed towards kids. You know, I love Spectacular Spider-Man. I just finished watching three seasons of Ducktales with my kids. It is my favorite thing I've watched in like two years. Um, I, I'm I'm here for, and, and I'm the reason I'm sort of voicing against this. I've seen some people say like, oh, maybe it's not for you. You know, it's more for kids kind of things. I have two thoughts. One, I like that. Two, I don't think this was marketed that way no, at all. And no. watching it, I don't really feel like it was for kids. It doesn't feel as, as '90s Fox to me. But as it, you're it's it's very that. it's very simple. That that's my point. I'm not necessarily yeah. saying it's like immature. It's just it's very simple, and it's it's simple to the point where like I am just old enough where I'm just kind of like and whatever. This that sounds like a weird flex where I'm just saying like I love kid shows. Like I love. Talking about Avatar and Korra and Steven Universe and all these things. I like these a lot. I think those are all shows that have a lot more going on than this. I think this was just very straightforward. And that, you know, it was just, it was super simplistic. Also, the art style, we can get into the art style. The well, art let's, style let's not, back it up because I want to ask yeah. Charlotte, did you think, do you think What If is designed for little babies? And only little babies can like it? Like, is, <laughs> yeah, like, is you, it actually a kid show? Like, if, if no. someone says that they like it, would you say that they are a uh, a drooling diaper baby, like a I drooling do. diaper baby. Yes. Yeah. Let's, no, I, I only think that's of you, Zach. Um, and the. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I I think I it depends on confidence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends on what you think is the audience for the MCU, because I don't. I think the audience for What If is the exact same as the audience for the. I rest love of the MCU. Captain America: The First Avenger. I think that's one of the better movies, but also yeah. I think that that is a. It, like, it, I, I'm not really even just talking about, like, the actual plot and the story. I'm talking about the actual execution here. I think it's really simple. Like, yeah, whereas but... Captain America, the first Avenger, I think, is a really, really well-made movie. Right? Because, I think there's a lot more of interest. I think in that's that because the the change of making Captain Carter the, the captain instead of Steve is so small. Then the episode ends up feeling like just um, a 25 minutes recap of Captain America, the first Avenger. In a, in a, in a much lesser that much version of the recap, Which, right? I mean, like a, to me, yeah. yeah. And to me, the closest thing I can think of is like um, novel novelization or comics adaptation of movies. Totally. Mm. Yeah, Which yeah, yeah. I'd rather just watch the original movie. And I right. think mm-hmm. this this is kind of what it felt like for Captain America, the first Avenger. Because the, the difference... Um, the 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 idea of the what if uh, Captain Carter was uh, was this uh, reality's captain uh, isn't that interesting and that different from what actually happened? Like it, it's a fun idea to give Cap like Peggy Carter the the mantle, right? Like I like that in concept, but yeah, you get it, and it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, there's one guy who's just like a cartoon sexist, right? Like he's the mo- like not not he's literally cartoon sexist, but like he's he's just the most like <laughs> yeah. obvious like huh, a woman. Speaking to me, no, I don't know about this. Like you know, yeah. it's it's incredibly overdone and overwritten, and Bradley Whitford <laughs> oversells it. Um, and well, that's uh, actually one thing that Agent Carter, the TV series, actually leans into, which is like the sexism of having an agent who is mm-hmm. female in an organization that is male in the '60s, um, and it it does it with substantially more nuance i mean it's still yeah i'm sure you could you could do this without someone just being like like, (laughs) a woman no thank you yeah no no it's it's super heavy-handed i mean i think that's describing all those shortcomings where it's it's heavy-handed with that and it it also kind of bypasses it because it's also like 
she's also a super soldier, and we we need to get over that so we can tell the story. Yeah, it's twenty two minutes. To be telling, that needs to do right? a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's right. It's short. So saying it's a lesser version of the movie, it's literally that. It is literally a lesser version of the movie. So I think, given that it's a short time frame, and you're trying to do a lot of heavy lifting, I think you need to take more chances. Um, I think you need to take literally one risk where something is like like here's an example right up front is like they seemingly kill steve so it's like oh, okay the twist here is going to be steve died because he was shot and mm-hmm. then peggy had to become cat they don't even do I that i thought the twist was going to be that steve becomes the winter soldier and sure. either she, yeah, he becomes be... it by the totally. in the in world Fun. war ii or the the episode fast forwards to present day and she's fighting uh, bucky in in the 2010 2010s yeah mm-hmm. uh, she's fighting steve in the 2010s yeah yeah, yeah, that that would be that would be something. I mean, it's part of actually what I'm I'm thinking with this show, we've only gotten to watch the first episode. Is like, I'm more interested in the episode that I know is coming up that has like a six-armed sorcerer supreme Spider-Man fighting zombies. Because I'm like, I, that's not you know they're not going to be recreating Far From Home, but with yeah. zombies this yeah, time right. or something, right? That's like, why I think this from the the episodes I know of this one, this was the one I, I was least interested about because. <clears throat> It's the one that feels less of a departure from the uh, movies and TV shows they are changing. Yeah. Yeah, like, I want to see... I, I'm excited about, you know, seeing T'Challa as Star-Lord. Yeah. Right? Like, that sounds fun if they don't just That one I'm actually Guardians nervous about. Right, because now yeah. I'm now I'm like, well, we just make Guardians of the Galaxy, but with T'Challa. It's like, if that episode does all the things that I'm wishing this had done, mm-hmm. and it's like, hey, we have Space Wakanda, and we have the International Empire of Wakanda, and we can play with all these different ideas... Then I feel like, yes, over the course of the next, what is it, nine episodes, what if could course correct pretty easily, frankly, where it's like if those nine episodes feel unique and they feel different and they don't just feel like movie recreations, maybe episode one is just that simple get you in the door. Because one thing I often overlook as somebody who thinks about comics way too much is how much hand-holding Marvel does, you know, how much hand-holding Marvel Studios does to get people up to speed with concepts, you know, the way that they will be like, and here's what a multiverse is. Let's put it on the chalkboard. Here's some designs of how a multiverse works. Like this episode is multiverse 101 introduction kind of stuff, right? And I think maybe that is very intentional. And from there, I could definitely see this getting a lot more interesting. But if this becomes, let's replay all of our MCU greatest hits with, like you said, you know, pushing one detail to the left, um, that's going to be really disappointing. That's going to be a real bore, and I will not keep up with it. But, you know, I, I'm interested. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm more or less on the same place. It's, you know, like, <clears throat> even this, we watched it, you know, Wednesday morning when it came out. It was uh, 22 minutes, and it was a fun enough time. You know, like, part of it is also, like, it. it, it I, I am somewhat okay with Marvel having, like, competently done, but a little bit less essential stuff from time to time with their shows. Like, we're getting so much stuff that it doesn't, like, it's not like, well, this is one of the two movies we're gonna get a year so it like what a whiff you know like such a bummer that the you know so much of uh of the the output they're doing is uh is just okay and not great because this is one rather, of five shows we're getting and four movies i think it's a little different though because i i kind of don't want them to miss on animation the first time out yeah well there's so much potential there that they yeah. haven't explored and there's so much now with disney plus being the behemoth that it is 
they can, you know, it's not like they're going to do this amazing, spectacular Spider-Man show. It's going to get two seasons and canceled because it's on Disney XD, and that mm-hmm. gets a limited amount of cable subscribers. Now it's on Disney+. Plus. Now it can be a big thing that they put money and support behind. So I kind of don't want them to do animation and be like, well, nobody likes animation because what if wasn't good specifically. Yeah, yeah. So I well, do want to yeah. succeed on that on that level. I, I, I mean, can we talk about the actual animation itself? Uh, I've seen wildly different takes on this. Um, people let's, seem let's to hear love your... it, and it's, it's kind of baffling to me. <laughs> people like are like, why? Beautiful. Why do you dislike it so much? I think it is well. One, I think it's very boring. I think it's the most like straightforward style that you could do, right? Like th- that. That totally. What kind of animation on... do you like? Let's give some people some grounding here. You know, we're not animators. Like, what kind of stuff do you like? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, Miyazaki films. Rick and Morty has excellent animation. Rick and Morty. Uh, Steven Universe has great animation. Adventure Time has great animation. Right? These are shows okay. like. That that I mean, this this is more in line with like Simpsons or Family Guy, where it's like a very like rigid style that has this? you know like I mean it's it a different look like style. Simpsons or Family Guy to me at all. No, it doesn't look like it, but it has like a very like rigid like yeah. These are the, the models technical, that kind of the technical parts of it, but like yeah, visually it's not that at all. Like visually, the closest thing I could compare it to is maybe the Dragon Prince. I guess. Hmm. Mm-hmm, sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of just looks like one of Netflix's CGI. TV shows, like one of the DreamWorks spin-off TV shows, which are like not that interesting because, you know, they're somewhat cheap 3D CGI animated TV shows as opposed to something that uses the... I mean, the big thing that kills me about this is what if is just a place where you could go absolutely bonkers and have, let's do nine episodes with nine different animators. Yeah. And right. you would have a different style each time instead of this like, oh, it looks like a, a, a nice video game cutscene, right? Like I was watching it the whole time being like, this looks... Like a, uh, like I could see a triple A game working at this level. Like there are. It's not as good as the Marvel Ultimate Alliance Alliance, uh, animated cutscenes from you know the the late two (laughs) thousands. Not quite on that level, but I hear what you're saying there. I I think it was it it had pretty colors. (laughs) Like it's fine. It's it's effective enough. It's just. I thought the action was actually pretty cool. I like. I Mm -hmm. thought Peggy's action sequences were actually quite well done. Um, I enjoyed that piece of it. I think. I don't know. I think what you're describing, Zach, I'm curious, like, how much of this is going to be purely subjective, almost in the way that, like, comic book art styles are, where it's like, uh, like, like, is there an actual limitation here? Is there an actual cheapness to the animation they've selected in terms of the fluidity of it? Or is it that sort of subjective thing of like, hey, I really like the way Daniel Warren Johnson's art look versus people who are like, well, it's not Jim Lee. I don't get it. You know, like you, you run into that, just people's brains working differently. Um, and I'm, I, I think it's just very safe. That's that's my like big. I don't think it is actually though, because I do think <clears throat> it actually looks pretty different than what I'm accustomed to from anything Marvel animation wise. I mean, like uh, compared it's a to different like take. I mean, compared to uh, Enter the Spider Verse, right? Like it is. I think it, it's I it's nowhere that... near as cool, obviously, but it's also TV and not a movie. I mean, I, I do want to back up and just say your point, which you made several times about taking risks and doing different animation styles and inviting in different animators and stuff. Like the animation. 100% agree. The, the 100% good, agree. Like, comparison that would be so that. much cooler. Like, if, if every, you know, and you could really sculpt the, each episode around an animator, find an animator whose strengths lie in like, oh, this person can do like really creepy body horror stuff. Let's get them in for the zombie episode. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, let's do someone who, who emulates the old uh, Max Fleischer Superman style for the Peggy Carter 1940s one, right? So it would doesn't rule. look... Would rule. I'm 100% behind that. Charlotte, what do you think? Yeah. Are, are you into this? John, in the middle, where do you stand? 
I like it. I do agree that I, I would like it way more if it was like a completely different style each episode and uh, all that. I do wonder if it's because they want this show, despite it being animation, to look as close as possible as the actual movies and TV shows that they do. Mm-hmm. And whether it's like because they think people will be confused that it's not canon to the MCU or it's because they want to be able to pick up on these in live action stuff and uh, and the difference to not be that big. But uh, t- watching it, I had no problem with the animation. I think it looked good. I think it looked better than uh, the Dragon Prince, which I talked earlier. Um, but yeah, I, that's not a style that I particularly like by itself, but I think it worked well. Yeah, you know, like, the, the, this the, isn't even the likeness. Well, just I want to say, just regarding the likeness of the characters, um, that piece of it actually seems way more important than I was probably thinking of, yeah. both because of the reasons you just said, Charlotte, but also look at the reaction Marvel's Avengers got mm-hmm. when they rolled out all these, you know, like um, <laughs> porn B-list. parody versions. Yeah, of the yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. The porn parody version of all the Avengers, and like it, people just savaged it, and no one took the game seriously from Jump because of that. So I think if they sacrificed almost everything to get the likeness of Haley Atwell and young Steve Rogers, that's actually probably smart. You know, for what pretty, yeah. pretty good though. I, I will give him that. I think they actually threaded the needle pretty good of like, yeah, that looks like Chris Evans, but not exactly like Chris Evans. Yeah. Like they, and I think they avoided I, the uncanny Valley by like having them be like, just like, it's real. They're suggest suggestive of the actors without being like photo realistic. I saw I think, so many, Go ahead, Charles. Go ahead. Uh, and I think uh, Josh Kitson was a very good replacement for Steve, for Chris Evans as Steve Rogers. I had no idea. Yeah. I did not. I did not notice someone. And yeah. I almost because I saw a lot of people being disappointed that big stars like Chris Evans, like Robert Downey Jr., like Scarlett Johansson didn't come back to do this. But also, I also think that the the actors that weren't in the actual movies did the best performance in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're actual voice actors. Uh, like. Yeah. Yeah, especially Josh Kitchen as as Rogers was a very good one. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Some of the line delivery from Haley from Haley Atwell was a little rough. I will stand for no Haley Atwell slander. Oh, she, I mean, she's great and deserves way. I mean, Agent Carter getting actually integrated into the MCU as a Disney Plus show would be very good if they you know boosted that again. Yeah, honestly, yeah. just reboot it. Uh, okay, so what if? Let's see it go. I, I I have one last thought about what if. Perfect. Um, which is. Did you find weird that they're not straight up calling her Captain Britain? And do you think it's because they have <laughs> yes. plans for the actual Captain Britain? Yes, I thought they were going to do that, and I, I was thinking, yeah. like, oh, I guess this is the the death of um the death of that concept in the Marvel universe it being you know Brian Brian Braddock's. Um, I think they probably purposely avoided it. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I, I thought they were going to do it though. I, I the other thing I want to I want to mention is uh, how weird is it? Uh, like, it must be so disappointing to uh, the creators of this episode. That like I don't think I've seen a I've seen so much talk about the show on Twitter and stuff. I don't think I've seen a single point of people talking about the like the Cthulhu monster, uh, you know, tentacle. Yeah. Was that Shimagorath? It's it's not anything. I I it's nothing. It's not like a it Marvel wink. It's I mean, just kind not? of a general like be. Lovecraftian trope. Yeah. You know? Yes. <clears throat> right. You know, it's it's doing the the Hellboy Nazis. You know. You know, summoning got... in. I did get really excited about that moment though when I was like, oh cool, we actually get to see what the Red Skull was thinking for a second, you know? Because uh-huh. it's one of the disappointing elements for me of First Avenger, and actually the way the rest of the movies plays out, is like Red Skull's, as a villain, he gets pretty thoroughly wasted. Yeah. Um, 
Now I'm not looking for I'm not looking for credit for Red Skull, the most evil of Marvel villains, but also great antagonist for Steve Rogers. And like we never really got to see what this character w- under any circumstances you don't have to hand it to him. Yeah. You don't have to hand it to him, right? You don't <laughs> have to you don't have to give it to the guy. But it was also like, well, what was he actually trying to do? And like, what would that have looked like? And here they got close and then got scared. Well, again. no, wasn't it that like because this time they actually foiled him by stealing the the tesseract, and so but he then was he like, just had it. But then how did he get it? I missed. I don't that. think he did. I think he just this was his backup plan. No, because I think he. They used it to power Steve's suits, and when oh, that's he right. Fell, and then Steve he, had the suit. Yeah, you got the wreckage. Oh, the whole thing was in the suits. Yeah, I missed that. I thought. Yeah, that's right. what yeah, that's, was powering it, the powered the suit. Somewhere. Yeah. Right. Okay. It's because okay. they. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. Regardless, I was like, oh, cool. What's he actually going to do? And then it was like, oh, yeah, Cthulhu tentacles out of a portal. Uh, we'll never actually see the full monster. That again, another example of like that could have been a lot more interesting. Yeah. That could have been yeah. a lot more interesting. I think. But you're right. It was yeah. very. Hellboy ripoff, if we're being honest. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Let's talk uh, uh, quickly. We don't have to talk a ton about it. Suicide Squad also came out in the past week or so. Has uh, everybody here watched it? Uh-huh. Watched yeah. the, the Suicide Squad? Yeah. Okay. Did you all watch it in 15-minute increments, uh, pausing for Crying Baby, or did you watch it straight through? Well, I watched it in the, in the cinemas. The, the, the cinemas? Yeah. Nice. We watched it in two pieces. We watched half the night because it, it actually came out early. I was wearing my one piece Thursday night, and I'm then uh, we watched the second half. The <laughs> you next were morning. watching one piece uh, on the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. So, what what are our reactions here, Charlotte? What what did you think of the in cinema, the suicide? Yeah, uh, I liked it. I think it's my favorite DCU. Mu- I think it's my favorite DCU. DCEU. That's hard to say. Movie after Birds of Prey. Uh, okay. But that's not saying much, given what I think of the others, uh, <laughs> of the other DCU movies. Sure. I think it. I think it was. It was. I really enjoyed it. I think it's the first half wasn't much to me beyond just jokes, blood, gore, and more jokes. And then yeah. it really starts picking up for me when they get to the the tower, Jotunheim, at the about the midpoint of the movie. I think. Mm-hmm. And then it starts getting very good to me. But yeah, mostly I think I thought it was fine. I think I mostly agree with what Zach has said in the Slack, which is that it's on the same level as Deadpool, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm like, yeah. fun. <clears throat> I, it, like, I think with, with, oh, we should say, like, I don't think we're going to spoil, like, huge twists. But, like, if you are really sensitive to, you know, like, any kind of plot beat being spoiled. Because, yeah. like, so many characters die in this. Like, so, so many characters die in this. That, yeah. like, it's kind of hard to talk about it without mentioning them. And it's like, they're not big, important deaths. But if you're really sensitive, you might want to skip ahead till we're done with this. And if, you, if you're really sensitive to mosquito bites, I would recommend uh, Benadryl cream. That'll actually help a lot. Um, yeah. Machines. Just another just another PSA. Yeah, I... Yeah. <laughs> believe me, uh, that's part of my ointment regiment. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so I... I definitely put it in with uh, with Deadpool, where like th- it does nothing to touch my heart, <laughs> even though it tries, just like Deadpool oh, does. It, it literally it the tries. only it tries. It definitely tries, and the only like yeah. the only moment in this movie that anywhere came close, which is absurd, is the 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 rat uh, at the very end making friends with uh with him. I was like, oh, that's kind of yeah. sweet. Besides Charlotte, that, do you, do you think like, we'll ever get Zach's uh, heart so it's not three sizes too small? No, James Gunn. We'll this is the thing. Okay, so he. Well, okay, let me let me finish the comparison. So De- Deadpool, um, a handful of jokes that worked great, and then about a, a equal mix of jokes that just kind of like fell totally flat or worked just okay. Yeah, right? like no- nothing that like I hated for the most part. Such, there were such as the way of yeah. jokes. 
Yeah, right. right. But, you know, like, th- there's also... It's really weird because you go into this kind of, you know, being familiar with James Gunn's, like, Guardians of the Galaxy work, and he's so trying to just do it again. He's being like, it's a yes. ragtag team yeah. of misfits who, you know, they all hate each other, but at the end, like, I'm doing a found family thing, and there's going to be a lot of heart, despite the, like, the, the the meanness of the jokes, and, like, it does not work anywhere as well as Guardians of the Galaxy for me. By the end of this, like, I did not feel the team meshing whatsoever. I never felt anything about the, you know... Like, Ratcatcher's Rat Catcher's doing good work. I, I don't remember that actress's name. Ratcatcher 2, excuse me. Um, Ratcatcher's like, just Taika. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she She's doing so good work, and she definitely, like, I, I it is not on her. It, I think it's fully Rat on... Ratcatcher 2 is the emotional core. And it's still, part. like, yeah, her she, story. Amazing. Just, Daniela like, Mac, like there's, yeah. there's a big emotional climax to her thing at the end where she's just like, I can't remember, the rats are swarming, and she's like, rats, we're, you know, I can't remember, the the... the no, that was her dialogue. She was like, rats, this is getting tricky. <laughs> she said something like, rats, we, we are, you know, we're always there and we support our friends or something. And it was supposed to be this emotional moment. And I was like, this hasn't been built up at all. What are you talking no, about? But by like, the, the end, the, when she's, the, when the they're covered in rats swelling. and she's putting her hand on Idris's back because he's mm-hmm. scared of rats, that yeah. actually was effective. That works for me. Um, that, that, was, that, that was some nice character work. I, the I two think of them that, to your okay. point, I found it very off-putting initially, especially how hard this was Guardians, but with gore. Mm-hmm. You know, and I initially I was kind of like, I mean, like, I know this will work for me because I like Guardians, but I was also like, well, it's kind of weird having a director who really put their stamp on a franchise come to the DC side and put that same stamp on a different franchise that is ultimately very similar. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think to Charlotte's point, I agree by the once we got past the midway point, I was kind of over that. I was kind of like. Okay, you know what? This is really good. Like, this is a well-done film. It is all that, but the comedy is a lot darker. Like, a lot, obviously a lot darker because it can be. It's R-rated, and it's it's incredibly gory. And I think, yeah, Deadpool's the most obvious comp because it, that's the other funny R-rated movie in the superhero canon. Um, I don't think it's, like, a miracle or, or an amazing movie. I think on the DC side of movies... It's probably my favorite. I actually think I like it more than Birds of Prey, which I'm kind of curious to watch again. Crazy, Um, crazy town. But I I actually think I like it more than anything else. And it's kind of fascinating, too, that, like, DC's kind of on a roll. Like, DC's weirdly on a roll, even though... (laughs) Yeah, Wonder Woman 84 and then Suicide Squad. What are you talking about? Throw out out Wonder Woman 84. Yeah, throw out the last one. And and Zack Snyder's Justice League. So, like, throw out the last two movies. First off, Zack Snyder's Justice League was an interesting experiment. I think people liked Zack Snyder's Yeah, it it was fine, actually. We we watched it. It was... I wouldn't slander that, but I, I would say you go Birds of Prey in 2019, The Suicide Squad in 2021, Doom Patrol on TV, Harley mm-hmm. Quinn animated. There's yeah. a lot of good DC stuff to watch. It's just all reliant on it being Harley Quinn related or Doom Patrol, which is crazy, <laughs> yeah. which yeah, is crazy yeah. when you think about the the house that you know was built by Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, right? Um, that part of it's bonkers to me that like the DC universe is thriving just with none of their biggest properties. Sure. Yeah, well, thriving like artistically. Uh, I don't know if they're thriving uh, financially. With and I don't these, care. I, there was so, yeah, there was so much I don't conversation. No. Ah, we so, talk about it, this all the time, but it's like, oh, box very... office for the Suicide Squad. First off, first off, <laughs> deadly worldwide pandemic. Yeah, still like, going. Still I probably would have seen yeah. it in theaters if not for you know, if not for. Uh, I also feel like it. we yeah. know that it's a, it's the director of the Guardians movie, that it's a whole new cast and everything. 
I think most people look at it, see, oh, they did a new Suicide Squad movie. Yes, I'm going to see right. that trash. Totally. Yeah. There's oh, a I lot mean, of people I, who I are like, I, I was just different pointing than like Zack Snyder's yeah. Justice League, right? Where it's just like, yeah. is this just them remaking that bad movie that everyone told me not to go see in 2016? Like, there's a lot Which of Which actually worked really well at the box stuff. office, really. The first one. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right. No, the first one made plenty of money. Um, so, yes, I, I get all the reasons why it's not doing well. And also, I don't care. That has nothing to do no, with my, the my, my point. No, my point was not. Yeah. You, you just said they were thriving. And I was just like, no, pe- people use box office as some kind of weird proxy for their own, like, DC Marvel culture war stuff. Yes. I, no, right. that, that's boring. Like, Birds of Prey is my yeah. favorite, and it was a bomb. So, like, uh, I, I don't think, I think that one lost money. I actually don't think Birds of Prey was as much of a bomb as its reputation. I think it kind of made that back up. But no, regardless. I, I, don't, I don't think it made money. Like, I think it, it lost money, ultimately. Okay, but regardless, like, yeah, those yeah. are, those are pretty clearly, to me, DC being on, like, a pretty good track as far as, like, R-rated, kind of, like, Kathy Yan, like, specific visions. Yeah. That yeah, yeah. I'm enjoying. I yeah. Um, I The Suicide Squad, I think, it succeeds in ways that the first didn't, it is such a better movie. It is such yeah. a better movie. Oh, that's it not is, even, like, in question. You, of course it is. No, no, yeah. of course. Of course. But it's also, like, strategically, strategically, I still question, why do why why is DC so dead set on making the Suicide Squad happen? Mm-hmm. Like, strategically, sure. I'm really, really still curious, like, why did they think that it was a good idea to remake this with James Gunn? Turns out I he made a really good movie. Unsurprising. Why are they so set on making the Suicide Squad happen? That's never been... Like, the John Ostrander run is a critical darling and a great comic series that people should run. That was never, like, a huge hitter for them. That's not a big part of the DC Universe. And I Yet, don't it's think their cinematic they... centerpiece. I don't think they would have done another one if it wasn't for James Gunn. I think they got James Gunn off, off the back of him getting fired from Disney, and they just told him, like, what do you want to do? You can do anything with our properties, and it just happened that uh, what he wanted yeah. to do was Suicide Squad. I yeah. don't think there's any way they would have done another one of these without him. I guess yeah, if it's just like point. we have one opportunity to steal this guy for a minute, because he's going to get fired and rehired by Marvel, clearly. Yeah. And uh, and the only thing he wants to do is Suicide Squad. Okay, fair enough, right? But, like, a James Gunn Metal Men or, like, a James Gunn, I mean, Doom Patrol, obviously. But, like, you know, just some sort of other weird property could also have been interesting. And it's it's so strange to me that they keep... Which, which is probably what he's going to do happen. next. Because I think he's going to... I think he said he's going to do most of for DC. And I don't think it's going to be a Suicide Squad sequel. I mean, a Secret Six would make a lot of sense. Like, just change the name, just change the branding. Yeah. That's basically what they made anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I dug it. I dug the performances. Um, I love Idris in basically everything. Margot Robbie yeah. is so good as Harley. It blows me away. Yeah, Margot Robbie is is the standout. And with, I really like John Cena. I think he's got like yeah. really good yeah, comedic charismatic. chops. I, I wasn't he's expecting Peacemaker movie. to be one of the breakout characters from this. I'm excited for that me. show now too. Yeah. Hmm, I'm 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 not particularly, but like maybe if he, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll check it out. But like, okay, so the the things. <laughs> The thing that, like, bugged me about this movie, though, was, like, there were so many interesting setups for jokes that landed, like, that were, like, 30% there and then just kind of fizzled um, because, uh, partially because James Gunn, like, it's a strange thing where, like, I, I almost think, like, him being restricted by Disney for the MCU is a positive, right? Like... I, I think maybe it's the only time I'd ever say that. We're like the studio. Sometimes the... editors help, I guess. What, what right, kind like, of jokes are you looking at? Well, like it, the okay. Uh, uh, this is you know, it's not a spoiler. It's a spoiler of a joke. But that scene where Idris Elba, Peacemaker, and uh, was it Bloodsport? Um, 
go he through that blood sport. that camp of uh, of freedom fighters and yeah, <laughs> and, right. and kill yeah. all those freedom fighters <clears throat> is it's a funny joke at the end when they walk in and find out that like you know they just killed the resistance fighters that they're supposed to be helping <laughs> and they just mm-hmm. kind of slaughtered them all. Mm-hmm. Um, one. The scene played out for about two minutes of them just killing people at random, and then started this thing with, like, Bloodsport and Peacemaker doing, like, a one-upmanship thing mm-hmm. with each other, but then they only killed, like, one person each, and then moved on from it, and it was like, well, that's an idea for the whole scene, right? Like, it was a weird, like, here's a joke, but then we're not actually gonna, like, commit to it or run with it. It was like, ru- do this entire scene of this clever idea of the two of them like, trying to one-up each other with more creative or vicious deaths with these people. It was just a weird, like, half-baked thing thrown in at the end. And then they, they get in there, and it, I think it's a funny joke that they just accidentally kill all these people. But then James Gunn also wants to have this be, like, kind of a serious film in some ways. Like, the weird Cuban politics are pretty iffy if you start looking at it. Like, James Gunn's actual politics about Cuba start leaking in. And uh, he has to have that woman... Uh, the head of the freedom fighters then like really painfully and awkwardly be like i still need your help even though you just killed like 50 of my closest allies and that scene is just and it's not her fault like it's awkward because there's no way to sell that like it's just it's a really poorly like and just have him kill literally the entire thing and make the whole thing a joke it's weirdly like him trying to thread the needle of still doing the heartwarming stuff with the -the over-the-top violence like I almost kind of want him to pick a lane more often because I, I disagree it, about the setup or for the approach. I think Idris and John Cena's character are going back and forth plenty for me in a way that I thought made sense. Right. Kind of a violent teenage, uh, you know, back and forth like like the Gimli and Legolas. But if they were making jerk off motions instead of just kind of mm-hmm. kills yeah. um, I, that part, I didn't have a problem with. I think, yes, it's weird that the freedom fighter would be like. Oh, cool. Let's move on and work together. You just killed yeah. fifty of my closest friends. It, um, that's it's very fast weird. And it's those quick. absolutely those villains it's, it's very plot driven. It doesn't make a lot of sense. The 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 um well, there's, there's just like a, a fair amount of that stuff with the like the Cuban military leader and the president, where it's just like, why are they in this film? Like, why are we why are we watching that scene of the Cuban president burden the birds to just be like, ooh, this is a bad guy, right? Like, we need to cement in the audience's mind that this is a real nasty. How do we know guy. if he doesn't have a mustache that he's twirling? How do we know he's a villain? If <laughs> like he's not just, burning just like the most boring middle of the road, you know, eighties. Uh, it's it's a Suicide Squad plot, Zach. It's an eighties Suicide Squad. Uh, hey, well, we got a foreign nation, the, the, and we're going to interject our yeah. No, uh, I know. I've, our, I've read the Ostrander stuff, force, like, right? No, I'm saying that's like that's what it is. I mean, it's well, it's well then hire a performer who been. like has something interesting to do with it instead of just like the most like absolutely average like you know Fidel impression. That, that's happening because that guy what, what's that guy's deal and then he just gets killed off like it's nothing because it's you know because he is nothing he's not the point of the movie there's nothing no, to him not. there's just a no. weird thing yeah. where like he it, it was stretched a little thin like the margot robbie getting um harley harley quinn and the president they're like strange montage of them falling in love it was absolutely so boring and just a whole load of nothing followed oh, by disagree. a really good joke the the yeah. joke at the end of that that caps that is great right the way that she ends that whole scene is yeah, excellent it doesn't but... work it doesn't work if you don't build to it yeah but you have to build to it in an interesting way right like there's just a lot they of did. like him they did a they did a totally like cheesy rom-com montage hmm. to showcase they, all this yeah. stuff i That's mean i guess joke. it's just it landed differently i was just watching it being like well this is yeah uh, I, th- I think i like the build up to that joke because i think it's short enough that it doesn't grate so much on me I, I also like watching through that montage, you know that it, there's going to be 
um, like something turned around by the end. Yes. And uh, I also like the having the gaze be on him rather than like his sure. him yeah. coming out of the the bath at the beginning uh, half naked. Uh, that was fun to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she she's not getting the the eyes on her butt. Yeah. like the, the first one <laughs> did and at all times. Coming back to the freedom fighters scene. Yeah, wasn't a huge fan of the joke being, let's have a, a group of mostly white people completely slaughter a group of Latinx um, freedom fighter, and that being the whole joke. I, I mean, like, du- dubious politics aside, it's the fact that, like, he also kind of takes it seriously that I think makes it bad, right? That That's the point, that, you know, like, that it is actually... I, I think if all of that subplot was just a total aside and meant nothing to the film... <laughs> Then I think that would that like would land better, but I, I think the like that aspect of it um, that you know he also is like weirdly trying to to thread this like Cuban takeover uh, military takeover plot thing is uh like makes the whole thing a little sour. I me. I think the piece that I agree with is it's a bit like we often talk about with some comics where it's it's trying to have a cake and eat it too. Yeah, where it's like hey we're gonna call out how this violence is a bad thing. You know, because, like, this is a trope in movies where they go through the camp and kill all the foreign soldiers like they're nothing. But then you get to the end of it and you realize, actually, those were going to be our allies. And now it's a joke. They're trying to have their cake and eat it, too, where they're, like, getting off on the violence of it. But then also kind of calling out how that was an awful thing to have done to a degree. Which is fine and funny if you don't then follow it up by, like, someone heartfelt being like, but I really need you, Suicide Squad. I guess you're my only hope, right? Like, that, that, yeah. It's exactly that, right? Like, I, I don't, I like, like, that can be a mean joke. He just weirdly, like, tempers it by also trying to, to have a, a serious underpinning. I would, it. I would be very curious, and I have missed this, and I have not sought it out, so I should. I would be very curious about Latino perspectives on this film, specifically. Because that, it made me uncomfortable as it was happening, where I'm like, oh, they're just killing all these you know, like Latin people, like for nothing, right? Like they're like sleeping and stuff. And then at one point you have John Cena, you know, eyeing up, you know, a a woman in an office or whatever, right? And they're just like, we're just, we're just using this nation as fodder. And that's kind of like, there's, that's a theme of the movie as well, right? Like that's what makes Amanda Waller so uncompletely, you know, um, unrepentant in her sort of evil, right? Here is, is her role in that. But yeah, when you dig into the politics and you dig into, the way that like these human beings were treated as just other and foreign and a place where we go and do our violence and get out. Um, I would like to read more thorough perspectives on the problems with that. Cause I think I probably the reality is I'm probably enjoying this from a perspective of someone who is not actually dealing with those issues and doesn't know a lot about it, frankly, how he talks about central in South American countries. Um, like, is pretty reflected in this, I think. There's a good uh, Vox article by Emily Vanderwolf, or Vanderwolf, Worf, um, that uh, I'd recommend if you want to go check it out. About James Gunn's South American yeah, about, politics, specifically? About, like, how suicide... I think she makes the comparison of uh, <laughs> how the movie is, like... Like, James Gunn is almost channeling, like, Clint Eastwood and American Sniper. Um, yeah, okay. That would be interesting. Because mm. I think the problem is that... I mean, one of the problems is that during the scene where... Peacemaker and Rick Flag and everyone learned that the US were actually behind the experiments with Starro. The big revelation and the big shock isn't the US actively harmed uh, a lot of Latinx people. The big revelation and treason is that the US lied to me. At least that's mm-hmm. how that scene comes Well, I mean, that, that's the. I mean, Peacemaker is suppo- supposed to be the like 
embodiment of the real politic American imperialist Yeah, I guess I'm thinking more agenda. of Rick Flag's right. so like, his, uh, his That's Rick Flag's text. reaction, but that's I think that's why Ratcatcher 2 is so essential, because yeah. her reaction is all those people. You know, so you do... Is a more humanist approach, right, yeah. Which you do also get. Um, I, I think the movie's getting a lot of credit. I think Gunn in particular is getting a lot of credit for putting that in the film, because again, it is... Maybe it's a thing that can you dig deeper, and, and it has critiques, but it's also a thing of... America so wholly being sort of an evil force in this nation, not being a thing that you would have seen in a Marvel movie, right? Which obviously gets military propaganda critiques thrown against it for a number of reasons. Um, so sure. I, I think that's why it's getting a lot of credit. I think some of it deserves... Oh, see, that's not. wild to me. This this movie doesn't get any credit for that <laughs> from me at all. Like, th- this movie is also just so, like, incoherent with that stuff. Like, with, like... Oh, Amanda Waller, is she really evil or is it just she lost her temper or, you know, well, and like, I think this is where uh, I think this is where it's all really underbaked. Yeah. When you are kind of being like, oh, but it's just jokes, you know, then it then a lot of that, yeah. like, well, what are you what are you trying to say? It kind of doesn't matter because you just bonked uh, Amanda Waller over the head like she's in a Looney Tunes movie, you know, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, you kind of don't actually yeah, have that, to that, explore I mean, the real. It's not trying to. It's not trying to. It's using a lot of it's using costa what is it i don't even remember quarter maltese as a um as a very fictionalized almost trope right um sure right you know but the thing is like intentional or not that's still like you know even if it's subconscious it's still doing that is the stuff that gets about it it's just right i mean there's so many movies that still push a very like you know uh imperial uh agenda subconsciously because it's just so baked into how media functions right yes so, again you know what like i i'm also i'm not mad at this movie for that you know I, I think it's there i think it just weakens the movie like i'm not particularly steamed at it for that stuff um i also like it part of my biggest critiques of this movie are that it's just fine in 2021 compared to what it would have been in like 2008 Right, because like post guardians post <laughs> deadpool post birds 2008 would have been a flipping revolutionary Exactly right. Like it would have been wild. About 2016 then we've had Deadpool. Deadpool. If it came out ahead of Deadpool, it would have had the same impact as Deadpool. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I mean, even even so. I mean, like, yeah. But like, but after after <clears throat> Guardians, Deadpool, Birds of Prey, like all this felt like there were literal moments here where like it was supposed to be the like, hey, the hero you love, <laughs> dead, and you didn't even see it coming. Where I was like, oh, that beat was just incredibly obvious because like it's not a big it was too obvious um, and uh deadpool 2 did that better with x-force actually yeah, yeah. oh that that seems incredible yeah. i think yeah well i mean even at the end like when we, i don't want to spoil it necessarily but like one of our big heroes gets killed kind of unceremoniously at the very end and it was the most like telegraphed oh, yeah. yeah moment yeah. right and part of that is just like it, it, it's not dangerous anymore it, like nothing about this movie is subversive i it's don't describe frequently right? as subversive and it's not at all, right? Like, there's nothing about this that is not... Uh, uh, unless you're just, like, someone who's just, like, oh, I'm grossed out by gore, right? I don't think like, gore is subversive. But, you know, this... Yeah, I don't, I don't see I think the subversive is, is what like... we just discussed, which we do not need to dive back into, and I don't want to, but it's the... No, 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 oh, America's actually the bad guy. That's the, what people are describing as subversive. Yeah. But, like, subversive <laughs> for, like, you know, a... Three hundred million dollar superhero, superhero movie, not subversive for, you know, art or for, uh, film for a blockbuster. Even. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, the, that's sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, like James Gunn has a history writing um, like trauma movies, like he wrote Tromeo and Juliet. Like that's subversive in nineteen. Literally, what is that? Right, that I don't that's know. 
Troma. It's Troma's this uh, production company that made like the Toxic Avenger. Do you know that? These really gross, really um, like kind of punk rock. Uh, indie is even too like strong of a word. They're very like underground filmmaking um, that are like hyper violent, hyper you know like sexual and uh, provocative and exploitative sure. and all this stuff. Uh, you know, deliberately doing stuff to like piss off the suburban, you know, moms or whatever. That's me. Um, <laughs> <could they>? <laughs> <laughs> what, a suburban mom or someone who pisses off? No, the it's definitely not someone who pisses off the suburban moms. A little column A, a little column I am substantially too scared to piss off any suburban moms. Um, anyway, yeah. anyway, yeah. It's fine. It, I had a good time with it. Go watch it on HBO Max. It's, uh, this it's, is classic Zach. This is <laughs> classic Zach. 45 minutes of this is bad. This is why I don't like it. But I'm not mad at it. No, I'm not mad. Why, watch this it. is why I'm I don't think it's... Not saying anything. Just don't like it. No, it's a it's a it's a three out of five star Classic. movie. Classic. It's right. It's right in the middle. Classic like, Zachary F. Dean. Sorry, sorry. Uh, all right, let's get into Substack because we this is. <laughs> I don't think we've discussed enough politics on this episode yet. All right, no, but yeah. seriously, so yeah, right. Substack. Uh, we don't talk a ton about this. I don't know how long we've even been going now, but um, the but big not. the big news in comics is a bunch of creators, uh, including James Tiny the Fourth, Jonathan Hickman. Salad Ahmed, Molly Ostertag, now Chip Zdarsky, Scotty Young. They are all taking their talents to Substack. They are, I believe all of them, getting substantial grants. They're getting paid good money from Substack in order to produce, in theory, comics. I guess Scott Snyder's among them as well. Um, but some of them, like Snyder, He's are not, not going to be releasing comics. comics. They're gonna, yeah. you know, Snyder's going to be yeah. doing uh, how to write comics, courses. He's going to be teaching. Um, Tinian's writing a bunch of essays, right, about what's going on in Batman. And as he wraps up his run on Batman, which is really probably the biggest piece of this, honestly, in a lot of ways, was Tinian is going to not take an exclusive with DC to do more Batman. He's going to go to Substack. He's going to take all that sweet money. And he's just going to do creator-owned stuff, which, frankly, he's in a position Specifically, to Specifically, DC put a three-year exclusive contract in front of him. Not exclusive, because he's still got his creator stuff. But well, a three-year contract in front of him. Basically just means you can't go to Marvel, I guess. I don't know what that means now. Right, not. yeah, yeah. That's probably that's probably what it meant. Um, a three-year contract in front of him in Substack, some, you know, like, <laughs> unknown quantity yeah. uh, tech, uh, a ripoff, uh, you know, like a weirdly limited Patreon, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lured him away from DC. DC, having... One of the, you know, what, like, top five biggest writers right now, if not number Tiny? one. like Tiny yeah. has had the best last year of anyone. If I was ranking comic book writer power rankings, Tiny is at the top. That's on a qualitative yeah. level. I mean, definitely in terms of name recognition, he's not literally number one. But in terms of quality right yeah. now, the Department of Truth, Wind, Batman, which is, it's it's crazy. Batman is probably his most <laughs> underrated series right now because his creator-owned stuff is so good. So Tiny yeah. is absolutely yeah. at the top of comics. Charlotte, yeah, you're young, you're hip. How would you describe Substack to the listeners out there who are like, what is this? Yeah, we should define it. Yeah. Well, I think you both know better than me what it is. I, I literally had no idea what it was until yeah. maybe yesterday when I started looking into it. So I think the most surprising thing about all this is that Substack isn't at all a comic book platform mm. in any way. It's a newsletter platform. So the, the infrastructure and the way it works isn't at all made for comics. It's not like it's mm -hmm. webtoon or something like that, right? Um, yeah, uh, it's very weird. Uh, you were talking about like who's the biggest name in comics. I think right now I say it's Al Ewing, Jonathan Hickman, and um, and Jameson the Fourth, and two mm -hmm. of those three are moving to Substack right now. 
And and Ewing's yeah, and there's, with there's already Hickman rumblings about on Ewing. The, yeah. the Three Worlds, Three Moons project. He's one oh, of the collaborators. Oh, is it I thought there's Tini Howard and Ram I didn't see Hewing. Those were the I first two names announced. Ewing okay. has been since included in some of Hickman's okay. uh, things. I believe. I, that's my memory of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, you're 100% right. Like, it's, it's some of the absolute biggest names in American comics right now. Yeah. Are, well, are we gone. should explain what Substack is then, because if <laughs> Charlotte doesn't, <laughs> I mean, Charlotte's I know now. But... It, it's it's more or less it's crowdfunding. It's Patreon, right? You go and like give a creator money to subscribe really, to their really service. Really, writers and journalists. That but, is what it's founded. Yeah, on. but it's very limited to writing and art, right? That's the thing. It's stuff that you, it's newsletters, it's essays, it's uh, reporting, <laughs> it's journalism. And if right? you're like, wait, um, this is just email newsletters? Like, in a lot of ways, yes. <laughs> like yeah. mostly, yeah. that's what it is. So yeah, that. There's a ton of skepticism around it for a lot of reasons. Um, I, I, let's let's try to keep this structured. Um, well, let's let's start with let's start with the positives of this. Yeah, yeah. I was there, say, there's a lot of critiques that fly around. If you're in the yeah. Twitter conversation, you see a lot of the negativity first. Um, let's start with the mm-hmm. positives of what moving to Substack means for these creators, which is in comics, as we have talked. Right, my mom's year. We go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. So you've heard about Jack Kirby. You've heard about Steve Ditko, creators that famously famously got hosed over by comic book companies, right? I mean, right now, right? Like Ed Brubaker and Jim Starlin for movies that came out in it's the last a legacy years, that right? continues to this day. Absolutely. Yeah. Bill I mean, what, what could good pay PR... his bills, his medical bills, uh, despite exactly. having created Rocket Raccoon. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what, what good PR for Substack that, like, the day all this was happening, yeah. The Guardian ran an article that said, like, a bunch of creators came forward and said the... The the uh, the normal thing that Marvel does when they release a big Marvel movie is if a creator was substantially involved in creating those characters, they send him five thousand dollars and an invite to the mm-hmm, premiere, yeah. which is like insulting, insulting for the amount of money those like, movies are going to make. Absolutely, and what Substack is doing is they're saying to these uh, comics creators, come release something on our platform. They aren't even specific to like release comics. They're like, just do it through Substack. We will give you a grant upfront of reportedly hundreds of thousands of dollars. We will give you stipends for health insurance, which comics creators do not get through the likes of Marvel and Mm -hmm. DC. And you get to retain all of the rights, all of the creator owned material. That's all yours. You can print it through image, through whatever in the future. We don't care about that. All we want you to do is publish it through our newsletter and gain subscribers that way. That's our business model. So from a creator perspective, for the creators who are involved mm-hmm. and are getting this money, it sounds like literally the best deal comics creators have ever gotten that I've ever yeah. heard of. That It's no wonder that Tynion, Saladin Ahmed, Jonathan Hickman, Molly Knox Ostag, all these people are like, how could I say no to that? It is... I, Marvel, DC, wherever, they do not and cannot pay like this. Of course. Of course you would take this money from that perspective. And just like big picture, it's a good thing to elevate the standards for uh, what creators should be paid, I would say. And and artistic freedom yes. and a more direct, you know, direct ownership of your property. I mean, they're talking about how, like, you know, Tiny's going to write comics that are going to go out on Substack. He can then print them however he wants. He can bring them, like... Substack does not own the printing rights to these. He can go find a distributor who will print them under his terms and get them printed into physical comics. He can go turn it into a TV show. Substack doesn't own any mm-hmm. of that, right? Like, I mean, sub, like, just right up front, like, don't let's not get it twisted. Substack is not, like, doing this out of the kindness of their heart. They are making a, a major push because they want to 
get Substack into people's, into the consciousness, yes. right? They want everyone to know what Substack is. They want people to start being, taking it seriously and, you know. Right. This is not a philanthropic it, endeavor, but, right? They have all this money yeah, of course, because they of have all this venture capital funding. They are trying to build yep. a Substack brand. And I think, honestly, pretty smartly, they are seeing an opportunity for comics, an industry that has not paid historically. But again, this is not philanthropic. They are not just like, we want to pay comics creators. We would love for you. Yeah, to of make course. Money. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of like tech tech people it's not you know it's it's not image comics with a bunch of people who are like invested in comics going off to try to start something yeah. better right like well, it and is, so it's a bunch of so uh, that leads to one yeah, of the most West interesting Coast. criticisms of it and it, uh, early which is how are we going to read these comics if comics come out via mm-hmm. email yeah like that's not a good optimal comics reading experience right no one has no one has come to how do we get comics in the hands of people and thought to say hey, what if we emailed them to them before because that is not interesting or revolutionary like you I, said zach up front yeah. webtoons tapas those are actual i would say leading sharp, edge but, yeah. mobile technology that makes comics like enjoyable on a mobile device right sending an email is not that so there's a lot of questions initially about like, what is the product actually, how's it actually going to come through? Are they just going to send us PDFs? Um, that also leads to questions like, you know, Substack, like you said, Substack is not a comics platform. They yeah. are interested right now in supporting comics creators as an effort to potentially push for more subscribers. But long term, like, they're not building tech for comics. They're not doing anything really other than creating, again, this email newsletter meets Patreon service that is incredibly not unique <laughs> in terms of what it actually offers right so that is that yeah. is probably thing number one just in terms of like is this actually a good thing for comics or is this just great for the handful of creators that get paid yeah yeah it's so uh i mean one of the big things for me so to like full disclosure when this happened i went and <laughs> backed a year of ram v jonathan hickman and Tinian thing. So I'm going to, I'm in for the next year and whatever they're doing, not necessarily because I'm like, this is great. And it, you know, I'm sold. This is going to be perfect. Even though I do like all their work quite a bit. Um, Oh, not Ram V. So, um, well, Ram, uh, Ram's involved with, yeah, uh, sol- with Hickman, yeah. but you're, you're solid. Yeah. Ahmed sorry. Right. Solid and yeah. solid and Ahmed. That is who I grabbed. Um, uh, but I, you know, I'm just curious to see how this plays so out. Right? And I, I want to clearly. Yeah. Yeah, for for me, it's it's a lot of curiosity, and you know, like I, I have some skepticism, but I'm also like I'm a little hopeful that this works out. I will say one of the the big things is like kind of seems like they jump the gun announcing this for a couple of reasons. One of which is like yeah, like Tynan even wrote on one of his first newsletters like yeah, not sure how I'm gonna get the comics to you. All right, like I'm gonna uh, I I'm gonna see how someone else does it, and then we'll figure it out along the way. And it's like well, that's a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> like kind of. Kind of one of those things you'd want to iron out before you, like, announce this, I think. The second thing is, all these guys started their thing, and then they were like, all right, uh, come join me on Substack for something Well, soon. and for the amount like, being, like, if you sign up annually right now, it seems like most of them have settled on, like, $70 per year for an annual subscription. Um, which, if you're mm-hmm. getting two comics a month, roughly nets out to, like, what you'd be paying in a shop, essentially. Um, less it's five that, that's you know that's a little under six dollars a month okay you know? so like yeah yeah sure so like reasonable. yeah i've seen a lot of people being like i'm not gonna pay seven dollars for uh for this like that's a whole nother streaming service and i'm like if you buy two comics right. a month that's right. it so right? like so that, that, that's and there's that little criticism. patreon vibe of like support the creators you like but right now it's like well there's not actually any comics you can read literally through any of these creators so i agree yeah, with you so on that, the jumping the gun front um yeah. there's also there's also like a fair amount of backlash and I don't know that you can talk about this 
without talking about like so Substack as a platform has a lot of backlash um especially if you read about it on social and the the primary reasons that I can that I have derived for this backlash are Substack their mission if you read like their mission statements it sounds amazing it sounds incredible <laughs> they're all about like in the way they frame their narrative it's all about like basically giving power back to journalists giving power back to good writing decoupling it from social media and the way that social media algorithms push hateful and angry and bad content in front of people right how the algorithms have built sort of a a network into the world of enraged engagement okay and substack sort of has this mission of looking that and saying it's it's very much trying to capitalize on people sick of social media but who can't quit it saying hey come get your mm -hmm. content somewhere better come get better content where we won't be pushing things on you algorithmically the down the the really close comparison to this for me personally mm -hmm. is our slack it's genuinely like i don't spend time interacting on twitter very much really because i got our slack it's small it's a closed community it's moderated by me so you know whatever but uh it is you know like it's personal like i know everybody there right like i know their faces i'm not just kind of like putting stuff out into the void and people aren't just going to do like a drive-by you know like attack right <laughs> on me in the slack right some rando can't just like come over and ruin my day with some crappy comment right so like I think it's a very similar thing. Like James Tynan in his thing was just like, yeah. And as far as, you know, like the community, um, I can kick anybody out, uh, without your refund. And that's just going to be dependent on, on if I think you're being an asshole. So just, uh, everybody be nice, please. Yeah. Right. And it's just like him having the control of just being like, yeah, like I want a, a smaller, more personal community where I can't just like, people can't just tweet. Batman sucks at me a million times a day. And I block them and they go start a new account and I just have to like deal yeah, with that. Yeah, so that like the desires here that make a lot of sense are the desires for the money and the desires to mm -hmm. not get harassed through conventional social media channels. Those I think are pretty understandable and relatable. It seems to be a huge driver mm -hmm. in the way like Tiny has talked about it, the way Chips at Arctic has talked about it. Um, but so to get to the flip of this, which is, okay, so that's Substack's mission, which again on paper looks and sounds great, honestly, um, really sounds amazing. The downside to this and the flip of it is Substack reaches out to writers. They reach out to journalists and they pay them to come use their platform, right? They're trying to build through known profiles um, and known individuals. And one of the things that they have done reportedly is they have reached out to some very big name, I guess, big audience, I should say. Graham Linehan is the big one. Okay, uh, transphobic uh, individuals yeah. who are like, like this individual yeah. you just mentioned is basically his career is anti-trans behavior and harassment and not only have they so some of these individuals they reached out to and offered money so like they've editorially selected hate they've editorially selected mm -hmm. um controversy you know quote unquote right but it's just hate um and they brought that into their platform and they also have terms of use which are they're very they're very much trying to play it neutral they're very much trying to say we don't edit anything you write but they have terms of use which basically say like no hate speech, um, no libel, that sort of thing. But Substack seemingly has not enforced any of this. So the individuals you have that are actually out here harassing trans people specifically, um, that stuff's not being enforced at all. So Substack has developed a reputation because of this, deservedly, uh, as an anti-trans platform because they're elevating and supporting and not um, 
curbing these voices when they hit the level of, of harassment. Now, Substack's argument against this has been like, we are a neutral platform. We are a freeform ideas. Um, it's kind of the same stuff you've heard from Mark Zuckerberg. It's the same stuff you've heard from Jack Dorsey. Uh, it's just them trying to pretend they're better than social media. Yeah, and uh, here specifically, some of these um, writers and journalists, n- not only are they transphobic and paid by Substack, but they're paid by Substack to, um, like, the actual content of their newsletter is their way to to further their transphobic ideas. And right. specifically, there has been there have been cases of um, them using that to target specific trans people and causing yeah, actual Gra- harm Graham Linehan specifically. Yeah, I mean, Graham Linehan had a whole thing where he went on to a dating app uh, and then, like, doxed trans and non-binary women on yeah. it. Like, took their pictures off of this dating app and then were like, hey, look, there's, like, you know, they're tricking you on these uh, these websites and this app, right? Like, and, and like specifically, like, harassed and doxed women who were just using a, a dating app. So, like, really horrifying stuff. And, you know, so my, my first reaction, because, you know, people were... Um, calling Substack out for having all these transphobic writers. And, like, my first thought was, like, well, you're tweeting this on Twitter, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's no end to the amount of transphobia on Twitter and Facebook. And, like, it's a little inescapable, right? Like, I mean, it's it's not worth, like, it's not like it's not worth critiquing, but it is it is everywhere, right? You, you can't really escape it. But the main difference that I have read about now is, like, Substack sought them out, right? This is, like you said, it's an editorial yeah. decision. It is not like Twitter where it's just like, oh, well, you know, anyone can sign up. And then, oh, no, like a transphobe happened to sign up, right? And like, and then maybe we'll kick them off if they, you know, cross whatever arbitrary line we, we choose. It is Graham Linehan has a serious history of, I mean, his entire career now is just being a bully to trans people. Yeah. Um, and they sought him out. At the same time, they are like giving the same grants and health insurance and stuff to transgender writers right in this awful stupid both sides thing of like well you know we're supporting transphobes and transgender people right which is silly and absurd right like that that kind of is any kind of uh um like what's the word well if that uh, balances the scales i think is you know yeah yeah or i mean i think i think the point you just made is the essential one because there's a lot right now there's a lot of like what you just said zach which is comparing substack to basically just the way everything is online and saying yeah. like, like we use and, Patreon. Yeah. There's a lot of monsters on Patreon, sure. right? Like a lot of the big names on Patreon. I use YouTube. Or some YouTube like... can be very gross, right? Like there's, there's plenty. <laughs> oh, YouTube is mostly gross. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like there's plenty of instances yeah. where open source platforms are open source. Anyone can come use them. Again, the <laughs> difference here with Substack is instances where they have sought and paid the voices in order to, further their hate speech and again also just like i think this could all that that part of it is probably a sunk cost and that's either damning enough for you to never touch a substack project or not right that's that's an individual's decision Mm -hmm. the part of it that substack could fix very easily would be to actually enforce the terms of use they've already written right Mm -hmm. this stuff already exists they already have documented material saying doxing is not allowed harassment is not allowed all they have to do is actually enforce it. Um, so if they can come around to moving past, I would say, the cowardice that has prevented them from doing that, right? Because you'll get backlash, of course, from the audiences who are affected. That's how these projects work. That's how these grifters operate. Um, but if you can get around that and actually start enforcing some of it, take out some—I don't even know if it's deplatforming so much as just, like, 
whatever those measures are against the worst of the voices um, who are literally just using the platform for hate. Again, that's, I'm not saying curb ideas. I'm not saying stop dissenting thought, right? That's not like, that's not what people I, are I mean, some here. people are like Glenn, like Glenn Greenwald. I don't know if you're familiar. I'm not familiar like, with any of these are, names, are but for the stuff okay. I'm reading about Substack, you know what I mean? Like none yeah. of this like, stuff would cross Glenn my Glenn Greenwald my is, is a creep and he's obnoxious, but like he is not a crusader like Graham Linehan is. Right? It's not like, a crime to be creepy. It, it, well, no, it's it's not it's not even creepy. I mean, like he he even might have like transphobic ideas, right? But like he is trying, to, you know, whatever. I, I don't want to like defend the guy necessarily, but like he he. Well, is you don't not... have to. You don't have to. And I mean, I think that's yeah. that's what you know. Saladin Ahmed, when he's writing about this, is saying, I'm very aware of compromises that I make being on platforms with yeah. with voices and arguments that are odious and that are dangerous to my being. Right to my personhood, James Tiny the Fourth is a queer individual. Right, he he's writing something similar. Right, so these are not. I think when you look at it from the comics creators' perspective, there's a fair amount of them who are like they are not unimpacted by this. They are not necessarily not thoughtful about it. Um, I don't want to make excuses because some people might say that's still completely unacceptable. Um, Substack should not be used, and you're you're totally welcome and right to have that opinion. Uh, but I see where these creators are coming from, I suppose. And But also, I think, you know, the yeah, piece that is the yeah. most important here, though, is like, yeah, but you're also getting paid a boatload to use it. Yeah. Just don't pretend like that's not a part of it. Um, don't pretend like that's not the driving force and that actually there's a there's a higher ethical calling here that makes Substack better because I don't I don't think it is. Um, OK, I'll pause there. What do you think? I uh, think Charlotte? even mm-hmm. though, like, as you said, Dave, there's uh, hopefully they start um enforcing enforcing their own rules and like cleaning up the big history of transphobia there is on this platform uh, it's kind of hard for me to be optimistic about that and i think the hopefully people like uh Sarah Ahmed, jonathan hickman like people who have a big voice in comics and that are probably going to be big source of um, money uh, for substack uh talk about these things and make it known that they're as people that are also paid by Substack, they are not okay with that, uh, yeah. which has been the case for Molly Knox. Molly, Molly Yesterday has said that she would um, give the money she makes from subscription to charities. Uh, Sadin Ahmed has talked mm-hmm. about um, hate speech that there is on the platform. And I think that's very important for the people that are taking these deals to talk about this. Um, and I'm not like my anger and the problem I have are with the platform itself and some of the people uh, like transphobic people they have um, hired basically and not with the actual comics creator that just took the deal because I can completely understand that that that's something you will never be able to get at Marvel or DC or probably even like Image or other independent companies Um, but like yeah I think the by itself the idea of having the potential of a platform that mm, <clears throat> allows cre- comics creators to have health insurance, to have a way better source of uh, income is a very good thing. Right now, just very hard for me to be excited about it, knowing the history that Substack has with uh, trans- Yeah, and and one piece yeah. I want to, I yeah. think really well said, one piece I want to call out too is in Tinian's sort of explanation of all of this, which I think is really interesting and people should check out. Um, it's on Empire of the Tiny Onion is what it's called. This is his Substack newsletter. If you're curious in this, it's worth reading, seeing what his thought is. That part of it's free, right? You don't have to pay to read like the newsletter piece of it, at least at this point. Um, he calls out how Substack is unique in that it's not going to algorithmically push hateful voices to you, right? If I'm reading James Tiny's newsletter, 
I'm not also going to get suggested to read any of these transphobes. I'm not going to get someone quote tweet dunking on a transphobe. So I see what their comments are necessarily. I might like if they're writing in response to one of their articles, which is obviously a tact that could take. Um, but I, the piece I kind of want to push on there is that's not the primary way like Substack works right now. But as they build their base, do we really think Substack isn't going to try to get you to follow more Substacks? They're going to want to keep you as engaged and as yeah. subscribed to their platform yeah. as possible. And the idea that like they're not going to ramp up their Discover features in ways that will expose you to more content, this already exists. If you yeah. just go to their homepage, they have a a button which is totally common which is use your twitter profile to connect to writers that are already here so they're already leveraging the social media algorithms that they decry in interviews and in written content and if you go to their featured leaderboards that's just based on how many subscribers people have so if the transphobes are incredibly popular they're going to be among the most promoted content on there so i think tinyan is either wrong or believes otherwise regard and plus and plus the part of this too is they're going to keep pushing on that they want to make money they want to keep you engaged yeah. they're gonna ramp up their discover features so i get the idea yeah. but that's also kind of how twitter started of well i don't have to see anyone else's content i'm only following 30 accounts and and then it expands and it grows and it keeps you wired in all the time and and you see more and more and more and more the longer you're on there um so i'm not really buying that argument i also think the idea that social media is bad for us and the idea that somehow that makes Substack ethically superior, those are kind of two separate thoughts. Yeah. You can be correct that social media is bad. <laughs> and the issue that we're criticizing here of Substack having a paid for and promoting platforms of hate, those, those are separate issues. Um, they're actually not as overlapped as that. That's, that's yeah. Yeah, well, that's the thing with Tynan's argument there where I'm like, I totally buy. Like, this is a much healthier option than social media, a healthier and, you know, less toxic politically and whatever. But for you, <laughs> right, like, that doesn't mean it's it's not, like, a solution for, you know, the, the user necessarily, right? Like, this does not replace... Substack is not replacing Twitter for its users. It's replacing Twitter for James Tynan, who now can go talk about his work and chat with right. people about his comics right, yeah. in a, a closed environment. But that's not, you know, that's not the function for everybody else. So I think that's kind of been lost in the shuffle. I will say, like, I, I, I'm aligned with Charlotte um, on, on what she said, where, like, I, I definitely can't blame the creators. And I, I think, like, so th there's a little bit of, like, uh, you know, throwing uh, throwing stones from your ivory tower at people who are, like, expecting these creators to be, like, turn their nose up and go to, like, what's the uh, word? Um, there's a couple other platforms that are similar, but not, but they're not giving out grants, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and that's kind of the, the major part here is right that they are um being like handed the money so I, I think like sometimes there's a conflation where it's like yeah james tynan he's one of the biggest writers in comics right now he must be a millionaire and it's like uh yeah. no like he's not a like you don't get super rich off these even writing batman right like i'm sure he is not making astounding money on batman right like i'm sure his financial security based on what he's done is not incredibly secure right like it is dependent on like are the series that you are writing right now popular well then you're probably doing okay yeah if they all start to fizzle eh, who knows right you know so like i i think there's a little bit of um like not very much empathy for the idea that like people need yeah. to live and eat and support but themselves I uh and that is a very alluring 
the, the offers being made are very alluring. I will say, regard. though, that even though like I'm not blaming the creators for taking this deal, uh, I would mm-hmm. be very disappointed if people like uh, Jonathan Hickman, who has a huge fan base and uh, like a lot of people will hear would hear him about this, do not mention mm-hmm. at all, do not talk about the problems with the platforms. Uh, some of the some of the creators that have been hired for this have talked about it, not all. And yeah, I think it's very important to talk about. And I'm yeah. very disappointed that people like Hickman do it at all. Yeah, I, you know what? I'll be surprised if Hickman. Does. I would be shocked. Yeah, uh, I, just, I would be shocked because yeah, Hickman literally left Twitter because he was not being vocal about... enough about Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Essentially, I fully expect he will not even try to engage again. And I'm not saying that's right. I no. don't think it is. I completely agree with you, Charlotte. But I would be shocked if he said anything about it. I think, yeah. like yeah, he, I from what I understand, Hickman has very like my politics are in my work, and I don't need to t- talk about it further, which is mm-hmm. a bit naive to me. I think, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, especially on subjects. I, like I don't this. know. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I have some sympathy for that. But like when you uh, something like this, where it is so you know, baked into the, the, the deal you're taking, right? Yeah. The devil's bargain you are taking for you to, you know, not say anything, especially when like you are not the first person <laughs> to do it. And, you know, like Substack is not going to um, lash back at him for it at this point. They're not going to yeah. kill their golden calf because he acknowledged that they have some. Well, and that's the other thing with Substack uh, is like, there's already a lot of journalists on here. A lot of Roxanne Gay's on here. It's a lot of really respected mm-hmm. authors whose work you oh, yeah. enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Um, like you said, Zach, like there's really popular trans. I've been writers. following a couple of journalists, for a couple yeah, of years. so it's like there's not. Again, it's not like I think it's got. If you read only Twitter, which again is part of the argument Substack is making, you could be like, oh, this is like an alt right platform. Why are comics creators going there? And I think when you look yeah, at what yeah, it actually right. is, no. it's not that. Um, that's not the truth. So anyway, I guess the you know the general lesson, ironically, is is one that Substack is promoting because it's in their business model and it's in their interest. But it is like, don't get all your information on Twitter on this. Like actually do some research. And no. Don't get your information on an algorithm. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> right like read some. Read, like if you stuff. just Google. Substack trans writers, you will find really interesting um, conversations about why some writers have yeah, left there's, there's about some good I, I advise, who are on the platform, adv- all that. I'd advise reading the article called Substack is Not a Neutral Platform uh, on mm-hmm. Gen by Jude Edison Doyle, which is a, a writer who actually um, abandoned Substack uh, a few months back, I think, mm-hmm. and explaining why they did it and the what they've seen on the platform and why that the ideas that are being furthered and um, <clears throat> published by transphobic writers on that platform can be very dangerous. So I think it's a, it's an interesting read if you want to know what Substack is about and what are the dangers. Yep, for sure. What what do we um, think about the actual? Okay. What do we think about the actual future of? Does this change anything for comics? Does does anything? Yeah, this change? is what does I want. Does anything to shift? Um, given the Substack thing, or again, is this sort of a? There's a window here where some creators are going to make a bunch of money and good for them. I think we have no idea, yeah. and everybody like doom saying about it or talking about it like it's the you know the new image revolution is uh, jumping the gun so yeah. much. I think. We won't have even the slightest idea for six months to a this year. Is, even like, like these creators joining Substack in the in the background, uh, it, it's very new because I think Nick Spencer was announced to work for Substack uh, like as a link between Substack and potential creators a few months ago, like yeah. <clears throat> maybe two months ago, barely. And so that probably all stemmed from from that. So everything about this is very very new. So I think it's hard to say. Personally, I I see it more as um, a part of 
comic book creators and comic book the comic book medium in general moving in part towards um, web the the web medium like on platforms such as webtoon tapas uh, all that and I think this is one more of this I think the main it, difference it, is that it's what getting is very big tap-ass. creators from big two comics search <laughs> you perv <laughs> sorry you can just keep saying tapas yes, Google and I don't tap-ass. know what that only like one Charlotte only one talk S- and Google tap ass. Good grief! <laughs> All right, I'm googling it. I'm googling it. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree, and I, I think you know what? Like, uh, I th- oh, oh, that's um. <laughs> only one S in tap ass, Zach. We said. Oh, I was oh. hoping he'd go the other way. Uh, it, it's yeah. it's a webtoon. It's a webtoon competitor. Yeah, it's the I, same I, idea. I, I, I um, no, Charlotte, I think you're totally right. I mean, with, I think with, without go ahead, go ahead. Uh, without structure, without a, a reader. Without something like that, like I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I, I think like people are going to be so disappointed that, though, when their first Jonathan Hickman written comic is just like a bunch of images in an email. Like nobody's going to be that into that. It's not going to be mean, that. That's, I mean, that's, like I haven't, I haven't subscribed to it to be honest. Mm-hmm. From what I've seen, it's basically like something that's made entirely of his uh, data pages from X Men. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that in a minute. Let's. Let, we'll get to that. I'd be surprised if they didn't give you but, a PDF like, with it. I guess you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, reading a PDF of a comic is fine. Like that's how you, you know, if you're not reading through Comicsology, if you're like downloading comics from Humble Bundle or something, right? Like, you're getting uh, every review copy, and then you. <laughs> so like, right? Which I yeah, know is, is exactly, a CBA right. specific thing, but it's also like that's how I read most of my comics now is through PDF, and it's fine. It's fine. Right. It's not as good as like holding the, a print the, copy, but it's you know it's fine. Or it's not as good as like going to comic all Comicsology no, and it's not. flipping through yeah. your library and selecting it or Marvel Unlimited, but like it's functional. That would be okay. I think if they really want to take off, they will have to have some kind of library feature and a reader, right, of all the comics you have access to. Because, like, I could see this getting really big in the way of, like, James Tynan is just like, hey, this is where I put my comics now, digitally, period. All my series are on here. You pay $10 a month and you get the three series that I'm doing Mm -hmm. every month. And you just have access to the James Tynan catalog, right? Like, the Jonathan Hickman catalog of stuff, right? Like, I think that... And then you could extend that to smaller creators, right? That's the only way I think this goes from being a thing where, hey, I'm already a huge established comic book figure, and now I'm taking my audience with me to Substack to small creators starting something, and then word of mouth is spreading. And, you know, because, like, you just need to remove all of that um, that friction for people to read it so that I can be like, oh, like, I, I think I heard about this series. I don't, I don't know really much about it, but I'll give it a shot. I'll give $6 and check yeah. out what they're working on. And then, you know, like, take a chance. Like, I do on Patreon sometimes, right? Like, Patreon's very easy for, like, oh, this podcast seems neat. I like this podcast. I'll check out their bonus content, give them $5, and get access to their their bonus stuff. I mean, it turns creators into publishing houses, potentially, Mm -hmm. you know, where they can just, they're they're their own publishers, and they can put their own work out whenever they want, and they can pay whatever creators to work with them because they actually are getting paid a a good salary to do this stuff. Um, I think as models go, it is... Again, it's very it's the most creator friendly thing comics have ever seen. I think on that level, if it actually is something Substack finds value in and continues to support, it will be very mm-hmm. important for comics. I mean, it will push because it'll yeah. either push publishers to catch up or it'll push them out of business um, long term, yeah. right? Because it'll either it'll you know Marvel and DC obviously they're two biggest ones, and they're they potentially if Substack's really serious about this and they're actually losing talent to it we'll need to look eventually and say, what kind of things do we need to offer creators in order to just stay in business, to stay competitive? We're not anywhere near that yet. Tiny is the only one who has given up big two stuff. And again, it's like 
Even if you took Substack out of the equation, that might have been a decision that made sense for Tiny in anyway. He's writing 75 creator-owned books right now. They're all really good. How is he going to continue yeah. writing the Batman line, right? So, and he also just won an Eisner. You know, they, they're like on top of the world with their creator-owned stuff. The, I went to my comic shop recently to pick up my books. Something is Killing the Children is the top, th- like the <coughs> top three books on their top 50 graphic novels of the last couple months, and they're sold out. Like wow. his, his work is doing very well. And again, good books. Good I gotta for him. say, just just wanna just wanna say, I've been on this train for a long time. I've been I've been ringing this guy's yeah. bell for uh, for a couple of years. You've been now. all tiny in for a long time. You used to ooh, that's good. And you used to scoff at me and say that guy he's a chump. He's going nowhere. And I'm like, just I did call him a no good chump, a total lump. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never said that. I always liked his stuff. But you were you were big in on James Tiny and uh, well before a lot of people. Yeah. And you were definitely right. I think it was. It was just that I loved his detective comic run. I like fell in love with that, and then I just was like, "Oh, I'm gonna subscribe to Wind and Something Is Killing the Children," and uh, then Department of Truth when it came out, and I was like, "Oh, this guy rules! Yeah. <laughs> like everything he touches is really bold." And uh... yeah. all right, so the, the uh, one other thing can I, I want just, to talk about sorry, is can I just pause for thirty seconds? Oh, I have please. a huge ass frog in my throat, so I'm gonna <laughs> take some water. Oh yeah, yeah, An ass frog. <laughs> Tapping ass. T a p a s. I would say tapas. No, like uh, tapas. It's tapas. It's like the dish. Spanish, you know, food. Yeah, because <laughs> it's little, it's little bites yeah, of comics. Sure. Right? Okay, Zach. Let's uh, let's hit your question and let's wrap it up. Por favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're yeah. I know we've been going for a while. Um, okay. I I just wanted this is a very specific to one thing because I know you and I, Dave, have both experienced this with Jonathan Hickman's new project, which out out of the three ones that we're both like looking at I, Hickman's is the one I'm most excited about as much as I, I like Tiny a lot more but Hickman's is the one I'm most excited about like digging into and staying part of for the moment which is three moons three worlds and the pitch is that he's creating like a D&D source book basically <laughs> right like a, a, a universe he's world building here with the collaboration of like Teeny Howard is doing the magic system mm-hmm. I think um, Ram V is doing the uh, the economic system. Al Ewing is doing the politics. I think. What is that religion? Right? Is Ram V doing the religion? religion? Yeah, I can't no. remember. Something like that. No, Ram V is doing the markets for sure. Yeah, like he's divvying up parts of the world building to different creators, it's similar to like the him doing the head of X yeah. thing of being yeah. like I'm yeah, no, kind yeah. of covering the whole thing and you know designating different aspects to different people. Um, I think that's so cool. I'm really into this idea because he's you know I, I like the idea that he's like I'm not writing a new series. I'm creating this world which. I will probably write series in, but also like it's just a comic universe for people to write comics mm-hmm. in besides me, right? Like launching a new comic universe, kind of like uh, like Mignola has done or Jeff Lemire with Black Hammer. Oh, it's classic like, Jim Shooter new universe is what I'm saying. Oh, sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's fun. It's a fun idea, but also how often does it come from creators that you're like, oh, I think they have the chops to do something great here instead of Jim Shooter. So I'm I'm really interested to see how this plays out over the next year. My hesitation is so far we have received two emails that are just basically like, all right, you don't have any story, but there are three <laughs> moons. One's called Kavar, one's called Akvar, yeah, and yeah. Uh, there's a cycle of magic and science. It, like, and like I find it kind of cool. Like I've been reading them, and I'm like, all right, that sounds kind of neat. But without the context of story and humans and characters, it definitely like it does just read as like. Uh, 
like reading a, a, a tabletop RPG like source book without any of the, you know, like actual mm-hmm. play. I saw someone say on Twitter it's, it's weird, that um, right? Hickman feels like someone who desperately wants to invent D&D and doesn't know what D&D is. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's just searching for it endlessly. Yeah, yeah. And like, I, yeah, I yeah. hate it. I hate the approach. Um, you hate it? Oh, okay. I, I think it's unreadable without the context of story. I think if it was, I, yeah. all you had to do, all, all the approach would be to make the, to make me totally invested. The creator I love, clearly, um, is release the first issue and mm-hmm. then dole out mm-hmm. all this backstory, yeah. all this back matter. Yeah, yeah. That is useful. If the first issue of Decorum, his, his series with Mike Huddleston, had an addendum of 18 pages of all this sort of world-building information, I would have bought it. It would be really useful. There's a lot of stuff in there that I'm like, I don't really know what's going on. There's so many data pages and planetary systems that I don't get. That is that is interesting to me. Getting it ahead of the work, I'm not mm-hmm. interested it, yet. Odd, yeah. not, there are some cool yeah. ideas in there, you know, like the cycle of science and magic and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think approach-wise, it does not work for me at all. Um, ultimately, it won't matter because you just, whatever, you go back and read it after you read the first issue. Who cares? Yeah. Um, but right now, well, he's annoying. not he's not like he's not selling it to you as the source book for the world. He's talking about it like, hey, we're building it. and I'm just giving you a peek into the creative process. Yes. Right. Like I'm just letting you into. It. So it is experimental in that way. Like, I think he is aware that he's not like selling you a story or anything. But yeah, I, I, I couldn't shake the feeling. I was like, this is neat. I, I think I liked it more than you. But while I was reading it, I was like, I think I would. I'd rather learn some of this just like through a story. I think it, right. Like I, I'd rather be. I think it would be the most useful stuff if you're an aspiring comics creator to see mm, sure, this is how this sure. individual works this is how they craft story these are the types of of thing thought they put into it but as someone who's not that <laughs> and just wants to read comics and and think about them and and write about them um it does not work for me in this approach uh, definitely at this point i think might i go back to these once some work has been released i think it's very possible mm-hmm. it's very probable um, but yeah. as it stands, definitely not. I actually find Tynion's just perspectives on comics industry and what's going on a lot more engaging, like a ton more engaging. Um, because basically, you know, what I think is kind of funny about all these creators is basically they're experiencing starting their own website for the first time. And it's sort of just like <laughs> yeah. they all just clearly wanted to have their own websites, but they didn't know how or didn't have the they thought that was too too much or something but it's like it's all this is mm-hmm. it's a it's a newsletter it's a blog they just wanted a place where they could have their thoughts on the world uh that weren't curbed by twitter's character count because twitter's such a hub for comics mm-hmm. creator and it's like you know it's like having tiny and write a column for for a comics website um and turns out he's really good at it yeah shocker right you know and like that's what cbr used to yeah. have that people loved like Warren Ellis, I know persona non grata now, but like you wrote a column for CBR. Jason Aaron wrote a column for CBR. You used to have that. Um, those were some of the biggest hits and some of the biggest draws. And I find that stuff appealing um, about the the content that's actually coming out here from these. See, creators. I'm 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 kind of not like the tiny. And as much as I like tiny, and I'm not like I read his thing lately about like why he came to Substack, but him writing about like here's my thinking about what's going into Batman. Oh, see, I'm not paying, so I'd I didn't get just... that one. So I don't, I don't know how. Uh, inter- but see, but are you reading Batman as well? No, right. But like, even if I was, eh, I, maybe I would check it out. But like, it, it, that is that is not a huge draw for me. Like the behind the scenes, like stuff. I don't know. Like it, it's a little bit too uh, too. I don't know. It, it depends. It's on kind of funny too because it's also so like it's that website thing, but it's also like Hickman or Tanyan being like, "Hey, I'm gonna interview myself." 
you know like instead of doing <laughs> yeah. like hickman's like very famously like doesn't do a ton of interviews so he's like fine i'll for you know subscriber fee i'll give you insight into my world but it's like interviewing yourself is a hard thing to do because you don't know the questions to ask and you don't know what people are actually interested in and he's very like just talking about process not um like the uh, the work culture and the you know the actual like you know the the yeah no, yeah, no. how how like he's not the, that's that side of things right. we're tiny no, he's not giving up much of himself all right we're, we're getting we're getting we're getting so <laughs> we should wrap yeah. it up okay no, that's good uh, yeah yeah I'm, I'm i mean i'm curious uh i'm i'm like i'm very interested to see what the next year looks like, you know and like and i i think my you know i spent what 220 i think we're gonna see subscribe to i think we're gonna see a of lot of comics sorry sorry finish up i was cutting you off oh just uh yeah and i, I just i spend that money because i'm just very curious to you know like if at the end of the year it turns out that it was crap and it does not work whatsoever you know i'm not gonna be mad because I, I i went into it knowing like that it, it might not work but i'm very curious to and hopeful that it would work out for people like both that yeah. Substack cleans up its act its act that this opens up to smaller creators more you know creators who generally don't have as easy of a time as getting big work because all these guys could go get work right now if they want they're all writing big series but i want to see like uh sophie campbell take off here right someone who is writing teenage mutant ninja turtles but like can't probably write you know like uh super trans stories super trans <laughs> stories um for uh well, her, do her creator own work, which she's kickstarting right now which is um shadow eyes i want to say um is a very fun yeah. series that started as a web comic and it's like all right basically like if you're a creator of some renown instead of launching your own web comic now can you get paid a bunch yeah. and do it on substack you know but yeah i mean yeah. I, I guess like maybe it's wishful thinking but like Web comics and Kickstarters are so like if you have that small little core audience who likes you already, you know, I I, I don't know. Like I, I feel like there is the potential of getting a wider audience with a bigger platform instead of like yeah, I kickstarted something and then nine months later I got my like two issues. With Substack, you mean? That you know, no, with Kickstarter. I, I think Substack has the potential of being like if they are paying comics writers yeah. to come on yeah. there, right? Like paying a comic writer to come on and then release a monthly series with total creative freedom, right? right? And and are not limited by the editorial mandates of Marvel and DC and even image to some degree. I, th I think you know, we're going like to see a lot of image. creators jump there. If the money stays as high as it is right now, you know, I think we're yeah. going to see a I, lot. I of hope it diffuses out to some smaller. Well, that's only, that's only going to come know? through a tiny saying, I want to bring in somebody who doesn't get as much published. Like that's going to come down mm -hmm. to the creators. Now, again, becoming yeah. publishing houses themselves and giving other voices and talent, like they're going to have to become, talent recruiters i unless there's some long game plan here from nick spencer and the like to say we can't give you a grant but come and start your comic career on substack i i don't know what the incentive would be there if you don't already have an audience you know if, if you're a small yeah. creator i think yeah. it has to be through the bigger creators giving you a shot which is what scott snyder did for james tiny once upon a time right and now you paid forward kind of thing and hickman is you know teeny howard right he's helping her with like uh, elevating her work to a degree with X-Men and now <laughs> Hickman this. is fascinatingly invested in the career of Tini Howard. I, I'm I know, by yeah, this. it's cool. She does good. Have you been reading her Vampire the Masquerade? Series? No, do you like it? It's good, yeah. yeah. I, I like Vampire the Masquerade anyway as like an RPG setting. Like that world is fascinating, mm. but those comics okay. are really good. Um, yeah, they're solid. All right, that's gonna do it for us. I insist. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody, to uh, this very uh, all-over-the-place episode. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash year to access to our Slack channel, bonus episodes, uh, and our master spreadsheet. Next up on My Marvelous Year is... Um, oh, Dave, are you going to be back? Dave, this is one of those weird things where Dave is popping in again and then is going to vanish <laughs> Yeah, again. thanks for having me. Um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, of course. Uh, oh, no, you're on the next episode. Uh, where it was the one that we recorded about all the X-Men stuff, and then you vanish again for a mm-hmm. while. Just call me the Vanisher. Um, <laughs> Famous X-Men villain. Is that a... oh, He's your favorite X-Men villain. Uh, How do you not know about the Vanisher? No, I'm thinking of Lucifer. Know. That's your favorite. Never mind. Oh, yeah, I do like Lucifer. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, we'll see you next year. As always, Disaster Piece did our music. Dave, you forgot all about this. Uh, you lost all your hosting I've, jobs. I, no, I've just decided in my time away, I'm no longer going to support anyone not paying us directly. I'm all about the money now. <laughs> it's a good song. He was nice of nice to provide yeah, it for thanks, the price Disaster he Piece. Did, don't, so. uh, don't take it away, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't take it from me. <laughs> all right. See you see next, next year. year. See you next year. Uh-huh.